The Athletic. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. The Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC, brought to you by The Athletic UK. I mean, our boys in white were well and truly caught out on the beach yesterday afternoon after being welcomed onto the field via a guard of honour by the Sheffield United players. That was about as hospitable as the hosts got all afternoon. It was a 4-0 defeat at Bramall Lane as a ruthless Sheffield capitalised on those championship celebration hangovers, scored three goals in the opening 25 minutes and totally blow us away. Ender Stevens tapped in to make it four after the restart to book the Blades a playoff spot. Uh, I mean, despite the result, the atmosphere was brilliant in the way and yesterday. Many dug out the Hawaiian shirts and the inflatables. It was party time at Bramble Lane, but to many, this isn't the way that we wanted to end the season and perhaps a sobering reminder of how much Fulham needs to improve if we are to stay in the Premier League next year. So here for me for the final Monday podcast of the year is Jack Kelly. How are you doing this morning? Very well. How are you? I'm good, man. And Dan Cook, how are you? I feel absolutely atrocious, Coops. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you look a million dollars, sir. So, uh, I do not. <laughs> right, we'll take, we'll take what we can get. Uh, Jack, I believe you've prepared some three-word reviews. Would you mind kicking it off? Well, I prepared one of my own, which was uh, Marco Silva out. But um, we'll, we'll move on. <laughs> um, at oh, a Nate Scott with Oh No Anyways, which is a favourite. Uh, the Magic Mod with No One Cares. Richard Bamber, of course, with goal difference dented. Stephen Sheldrake with we're still drunk. And my favourite, this is absolutely sensational from Fulham home runs at Fulham H20. Paintball over points. Deary me. Jack, Fulham's 4-0 loss against Sheffield United was the heaviest defeat by a title-winning team in their final league game of the season in the Football League mm. since Newport County lost 5-0 to Southend United in the final game of the 1938-39 season in the third division South. You know when you're pulling stats out and you're going back to the 30s, <laughs> like this, is, this like just doesn't happen. Whether or not you care about the result, this isn't really the way that we wanted to end the season, is it, Jack? No, not at all. Very much a case of taking the gloss off what has been a remarkable season but I mean I think context is important for this game Marcus Silva literally did tell the players to celebrate promotion and uh, the championship title so whether they just overdid it on the, on the <laughs> celebrations is probably is probably quite um, evident there but look this, this is a Sheffield United team who I, I look at the Derby game and I think this is similar in the fact that they needed to win more than we did for the state of their season. Obviously, it didn't work out for Derby um, in hindsight, but for Sheffield United, they had to win to get into the playoffs. And actually, first 10 minutes, we were really good and actually finding a lot of space around the box and uh, carved a couple of opportunities. But, you know, once the, the first goal went in, Sheffield United got their, their tails up and played uh, some really good stuff and went 3-0 up after about 25 minutes and blew us away, like you said. And this is our heaviest defeat of the season. And it's very ironic it comes at a time where we're already champions after our heavy, well, one of our heaviest wins of the season in 7-0 for the third time. But yeah, disappointing, but literally shrugging my shoulders going, roll on the summer and roll on the Premier League. It really doesn't matter to me. 
Yeah, I, I, one of the things that I, I was talking, I've got a, a good friend who's a Wolves fan, and that Wolves team that got promoted uh, the the season, the seventeen uh, eighteen season, they were like one of the best teams in recent memory for me in the championship. That Wolves side, but no one remembers the fact that they lost three nil on the final day of the season to bottom of the league Sunderland. And it just sort of shows, you know, these things happen. And whilst it was really frustrating in the away end, no one's going to remember the season for that game. It's just one of those, we park it, we move on. And that was that was a Sunderland team that had nothing to play for. Yesterday mattered to Sheffield United and it showed. And it we just got rolled over. It's just a reminder of how batshit a league the championship is. <laughs> the fact that we could, we could go from a 7-0 you know, victory to, to losing 4-0 consecutive games. It's just it's just crazy. It really is. Um, I mean, Dan, Fulham effectively had a second-choice team out yesterday. You had Gaza coming in in goal, Michael Hector coming in for Tosin and Shalaba playing. Shalaba obviously got subbed off due to injury fairly early on, but I mean, Gaza and Hector hardly covered themselves in glory yesterday, did they? No, I think this is partially when you talk about like the concept of match sharpness match fitness, it, it, you, you saw the effects of it on Saturday. You saw two players who had not played any competitive football for months and it just showed. Like Gaza, he just looked wobbly. I think it was that, that the, the first goal was really weird and all. I, I, it just seemed, I don't know how it goes in and why it goes in, but he just seems to leave it. And I think in those moments, keepers are so confidence-based that he just he just seemed very wobbly for the rest of the game. I felt bad for him because it's just not quite worked for him this season. And then, yeah, we, I mean, we were speaking about Michael Hector before we started recording. It, it just it was really really bad, like really bad. If you watch back all of the the goals, his positioning is just just looks like a man who just was not just off the pace like physically but mentally. Like he, he just he wasn't able to track runs. It was difficult because Indi and Morgan Gibbs White are two very mobile, non-traditional forwards because they're they're both players who have sort of been converted into playing up top for Sheffield United. And they made it really awkward. Their movement was good. They're very sharp. But Michael Hector just couldn't handle it. And I think that's where we saw the impact. One of the things that I always push is that as centre backs are only ever as good as the worst centre-back. So I think one of the things that's really helped Tim Ream this season is being next to Tosin, who's a fantastic centre-back, and they've sort of levelled up to each other. But Hector's performance yesterday really dragged Tim Ream down as well. And we just we just looked awful at the back. It's mad to think how two only two seasons ago, you know, when Hector came in in January due to that weird contract, he, he basically made our season. And the partnership that he formed with Tim Ream you know, played a, played a big part in us going up that year. And then, yeah, it's, it's a sad thing because I, I like him. He seems like a, you know, a nice guy to have in the dressing room and a, a popular player. But I mean, it's just, I don't think we'll be seeing him next year in a Fulham shirt playing in the Premier League. But yeah, we'll, we shall see, I guess. Jack, it was a nice touch from Sheffield, welcoming us onto the field with the Guard of Honour. It's a beautiful stadium, Bramall Lane. And, and despite the result, the day in general, it's pretty good fun. You know, the, the travelling away fans made the best of it. And I mean, despite the result, it was a, it was a pretty top day all in all. I, I thought the concourse action at half-time and before the game was, was up there with the best I've seen all season. Yeah, I'd like to think it was a pretty good day overall, despite the result. Would you agree? Yeah, I, th- I think that whatever would have happened, whatever the result, we could have been losing 10-0 at half-time and the, and the concourse probably would have been in the same sort of scenes because... You know, we are champions and this is one last chance to all come together and celebrate the fact that we have achieved the title this season. 
So, so fans were down there from probably about minute 30, probably celebrating uh, upon each other's shoulders with the pyro and everything. I personally didn't go down because I had such a massive bag that I was like, I'm just going to just, I'm just going to look after it and just sit in the stands. However, I did have a very, very nice chicken balti pie. That was delicious. I would give that as one of the best pies I've had all season. I actually felt a bit like Dom Betts yesterday. I missed two of the goals. The first one, I was just looking down at my phone, wasn't really paying attention to the game. And the second, I was off getting a pie and they they made it 2-0. But yeah, all in all, <laughs> I, I hope the Fulham fans, you know, when they were dressed up and um, singing songs at halftime, had a good day out. And uh, in the second half, when when things were very tedious and the game wasn't up to much, we were basically relaying through all the songs we've sung since about 14, 15. So we were singing things like Slavisa had a dream to build a football team. We had an embargo, but we signed the players on loan. We're shit at the back with Ross in, a, <laughs> Ross in attack. We're Fulham FC runaway back. So <laughs> it was all good fun. And I think we just, you know, we sort of knew that we were going to lose the game. We just wanted to have as much fun as we possibly could before heading back to London. I think there's a, a potential future Fulhamish segment there in, in Jack's top 10 pies of the season, <laughs> <laughs> where, you, where you take us through the grounds of the UK um, yeah. and who does the best pie. <laughs> but I mean, a particular shout out, I really, really enjoyed the We've got the ball. We've got the ball for the last yeah, 10 minutes of the fun. game. We've lost the ball. That, <laughs> I can see even the Sheffield fans uh, enjoying that one. I think they even joined in at one point as well, Yeah, which, uh, <laughs> which is a first. I mean, Dan, let's not lose sight of the fact that Sheffield were great yesterday. You know, they came out with an intensity of a team that needed to win the game. And I think on balance, I'd say they're probably the second best team in the division. I'd I'd back them to beat Bournemouth in their current form any day of the week. They faced Nottingham Forest in the playoffs. Bookies have them as favourites now, I believe. You you must fancy them, surely. It's an interesting one. I think because of the way results went yesterday, on Saturday, sorry, you have it now where I think the two best teams in the playoffs are playing each other in the semi-final, which makes it really interesting. It almost works better in a way because over two legs, it really does become like a on merit getting to the final. It's not, When it's a one-game shootout, it, you, you can lose that sort of balance. Anything can happen. But I think Sheffield United against Forest over two legs is going to be really interesting. I think that... Sheffield United are going to be taking momentum into it, which is really important. I think Forrest is still just going to be sitting in those moments thinking, you know, what if we'd have just beaten Bournemouth? And then, or if we if they hadn't have lost away at Luton a few games previously. So I think they're in on, on a slightly downward trajectory, Forrest, and, and have finished quite meekly. And so, yeah, Sheffield United, buoyant, going in. They've got their fans back in the ground, back on board. They're looking lively. I think it should be a really, really good uh, playoff campaign. I mean, looking at these playoffs, like how nice is it not to be involved in that? You've got a real feeling of spugness, you know, it's it's great. Let's let's savour that feeling. I mean, you, you said that who you fancy, who, who would you actually like to see go up? I'm going to throw this to both of you, if you were to pick your four, because I've been speaking, um, I think we were chatting when we were up in Sheffield yesterday about there's pros and cons to everyone. Like if Sheffield go up, you've got, you know, beautiful grounds, uh, very good team, play, play decent football. Not in Forest, he's got the history, but it will just turn into an absolute Premier League wank fest because they'll be like, oh, you know, back where they belong and all that kind of stuff. Luton, it'd be very entertaining to see Luton. You know, there's a lot of pros and cons for each, but each of you, if you had to choose one, are you go, who would you who would you like to see in the Premier League next year? Um, I think from us, I was talking. Literally, had the exact same conversation with someone on the way back from the ground yesterday, and it, we took it from two points of view. We took it from a narrative point of view and a selfish point of view. I.e., Fulham, what would be best for Fulham, and from a selfish point of view, I would say Luton because obviously 
they've got the worst budget. They've got the weakest team. They're the underdogs. Um, although it'd be fantastic to see, it'd be a great story for them to go up. Like it'd be fantastic to watch. They would benefit us hugely because they would be one of the weakest teams on paper we've seen in the Premier League of all time. And that's no disrespect to Luton. That's just realistically they are punching above their weight. And it's a remarkable achievement what Nathan Jones has managed to do for them this season. Uh, and from a narrative point of view, um, I don't necessarily think that the Nottingham Forest Wankfest is going to be as bad as it was for Leeds. But I do think it will be quite unbearable. But I'd sort of like to see them back because I really do like Steve Cooper as a manager. And I think that his stock will rise if he gets a promotion, especially after taking them uh, from being in the relegation zone into what did they finish fourth in the table. So um, fantastic from him. I, I Huddersfield would be interesting because, you know, Corporan, a little bit of an underdog story this season. I, I actually personally predicted them to go down, which is a terrible take. And then, of course, you've got the other team in Sheffield United who were there last year might bounce back again so two of the three relegated teams are promoted back to the Premier League that would be quite boring for the neutral point of view but you've got to give them credit any team deserves credit getting promoted but yeah uh, for me it'll be Luton hopefully but I wouldn't mind seeing Nottingham Forest I think I'll, I'll temper what I said earlier as well Coops that whilst I think Sheffield United have gone into this in a really good run I, I still think that Huddersfield would be my favourites for this playoff I, I genuinely think that the way they play the way that Corbrand's very astute in what he does. He's very good at analysing how opposition teams play and changing how they play based on that. And so I think they're a very dangerous team to be playing in the playoffs. Who would I like to go up? I, I agree with Jack. I, my whole mantra at the moment is make the Premier League as weak as possible. And that means <laughs> that means relegating the, the strongest team. So who which that third relegation spot in the Premier League has to be who we think is going to be the strongest team next season. So relegate them and promote who you think will be the weakest. And I think that's Luton. I also wouldn't, I wouldn't like Sheffield United to get promoted because then it justifies them sacking Slavisa. And that still bothers me slightly. And I still, I, and it may be wrong, but in my head, I think Sheffield United would be exactly where they are right now if they'd have kept Slavisa. I think he'd have turned it around, but it vilifies the decision if, uh, if they go up. Right, that's, a, that's a different level to the, to the, narrative arc that I hadn't thought about but that's really funny it's like a kind of the opposite of what Trump said let's make the Premier League weak again (laughs) 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 we should get that printed on some t-shirts before going in yeah I mean it'll be interesting it'll be great to see it play out and uh, very nice to watch watch from a distance I just want to go back to the game yesterday quickly Jack I mean like we lost 4-0 there's not, you know, it's not. I don't want to dish out too much criticism because there's not really, there's not really much point to be honest. Because uh, you know we're, we're up with champions, let's um, let's just enjoy it while the sun's out. But um, Seri, I thought was just absolutely <laughs> diabolical yesterday. I just, I mean, obviously the, the slip for the goal was unfortunate, but then just as non-existent. I think he uh, he must have enjoyed himself paintballing a little bit too much. Um, I just wanted like take a positive. Really, did did anyone impress you at all as having a good game, or is it just a game to put behind us and forget about? I'd say Carvalho on his last game was probably a brightest spark. He had a good chance, which was well saved by the keeper. Um, in the first half, Bobby decoyed over Reed on the right-hand side, was was okay, got it behind a couple of times. I think we really missed Harry Wilson. Uh, he wasn't involved whatsoever um, for some reason or another. But uh, And then Rodrigo Muniz came in and he put himself about a little bit. When he came on, he had a shot, sorry, a header saved by the keeper. In terms of positives, though, there wasn't much... Um, to choose from, uh, but Carvalho on his last game for Fulham, 
um, coming over to the fans. That was all, you know, quite nice. Uh, and yeah, he's a talented player, Carvalho, and he'll be sorely missed. And he's going to be such a hard position to um, try and replicate for next season. Hopefully, we can uh, we can get the business done early and and, and get sorted for next season. But uh, I just want to say good luck to Carvalho at Liverpool. Um, enjoy the money. No, I'm, I'm only joking. Um, <laughs> you cynic. He, no, I, 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 I've loved him this season. He's been fantastic. And without him, we wouldn't be where we are. So you've got to give credit to him. Absolutely. It's just been glorious to watch. He's a very you know, elegant and majestic footballer. And he said some comments a few weeks ago that I know we spoke about the pod, a little flirt that he is saying, oh, I'm not, I'm not going to say goodbye just yet because you never know what's going to happen and stuff. He's just like, you, you tease. Dan, I mean, he looked visibly emotional at the full-time whistle yesterday. You see tears coming down his face. It was, um, it was nice to see that we weren't just a complete stepping stone on his journey to football stardom. Do you think there's any chance that we could see him back next year or are we torturing ourselves like the kid at school musing over the girl that he can never get? Because yeah, she's I, well out of our league, I think we've got to we've got to accept it now. I think that 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 ship has sailed, and I think one of the things that that Marco said yesterday cemented it was that it wasn't just that he was leaving. The quote was, "He won't be in a Fulham shirt next year," and that was a, a definitive. And I think so. That's and whether that comes down to the rules, the Premier League rules, or whether it just comes down to. Fulham thinking, you know, maybe this is the best idea anyway, that if he's going to go, he goes and we focus on trying to replace him short term and long term, as opposed to trying to plug that gap just for next season. But yeah, I, I just, again, echoing what Jack said, it's been an absolute pleasure to watch him play. I have no doubts that he cares about this club and he loves the fans. And I think my dad said it yesterday. He said, oh, I, I hope he he doesn't, he knows what he's doing. And he doesn't come to regret this decision going to Liverpool. But I don't think this is something that he's he's made this snap decision of like, yeah, I'm going for the money. I'm going now. Because it's clearly taken the whole season. It's been something that's been dragged out. Or rumours say that in January it didn't happen because he had doubts about it at the time. He, it felt rushed. So I think this is a man who's really thought about it. He really does love this club but has just finally come to the decision after weighing it all up that this is the right time for him to move on and all the best to him because I would love to see him do well. Yeah, and that 20% sell-on clause is looking uh, quite enticing if he does do well as well. I was just going to quickly say, um, if you look back at all the youth players who have left us over the years, um, Pat Roberts, Musa Debele, et cetera, et cetera, I think Harvey Elliott, if, if you look at the Fabio Carvalho situation, I think there's more reason for him to leave. And I say that because apparently he's already completed his medical for Liverpool. He went to the training ground, met Jurgen Klopp. Uh, and I reckon Jurgen Klopp has has probably spoke to him and gone, look, we're in a transitional period right now in our midfield where we've got the likes of Fabinho, Henderson, uh, Naby Keita um, and all the others. And James Milner is probably going to, you know, maybe move on at some point. And actually, we're seeing like a new breed of Liverpool midfield now coming in. Curtis Jones, Harvey Elliott. And these are players who aren't playing bit part. They're actually, you know, Champions League starters and, and cup starters and play, you know, minutes in the league. So Carvalho is probably looking at that and going, I genuinely feel like I could play top tier, you know, not like starting every week, but definitely play his part in a, in a squad next season for Liverpool. Uh, and I think that's probably what's convinced him because he would have had reservations about going so early in his career based on the fact that he won't get many minutes, but based on what Jurgen Klopp's trying to do with that Liverpool midfield and how he's transitioning it into more youthful like lineups, 
uh, I would say that Carvalho is going to get more than plenty minutes next season, which is good news for him. Yeah, it certainly feels that way anyway. And yeah, I mean, all that's left to do is thank him for the, what he's done for us and um, wish him all the best, I suppose. Final Monday pod of the season, boys. And what a season it's been. It's just absolutely crazy. 11 times this year that we've scored four or more goals in a game. That I just can't remember anything like it. It's been utterly joyous. What Just quickly off the top of your domes, sorry, I've thrown this on you a little bit, but what's been, what's been your highlights of the season in terms of what we've achieved? If you would say what was my favourite game, I would say Middlesbrough away. That was something of the most the most special sort of moment for me was seeing Mitrovic score that goal and the the unity that we showed in that moment because it's been a season when we've gone out and we have whopped teams and then we've gone to a really hostile place against a team that were fighting to get in the playoffs and ultimately we ended up their playoff dreams they we started their downslide then and it was just a special day but in terms of what will I remember this season for it will always be Luton at home last Monday that will I'll never forget that day I'll never forget any of the goals I'll never forget any of the celebrations it was just special and and not many teams can have a day as special as that I don't think yeah this season's been so unique in so many different ways Luton is the most unforgettable night I will ever experience at Fulham for a long long time then you look at Huddersfield away first away game back after Covid uh, and we score five goals and play the likes of Anguissa and Seri at the John Smith Stadium. But for me, I have to say that this season's been all about unity and it's been about togetherness. So when we beat Millwall 3-0 and all the players came over to Paul Parrish's seat was for me the most emotional and just unbelievable moment of the season. Such a terrible thing to happen at the Blackpool game and the way in which the players responded uh, in front of the Hammersmith end after a really good 3-0 win um, meant a lot to obviously Paul's family and the whole fan base and it just is testament to Marco Silva and the man he is and and the squad that we have it was absolutely beautiful I'm very lucky to support this football club and yeah the season will live long in the memory for every supporter there is out there and it's, uh, it's been a pleasure to to um, to be on the podcast with you boys for, for this season and let's hope that we can um, <laughs> we can fill next year with some laughs as well despite the fact that it's probably not going to be as plain sailing but uh, right that's it for this section don't go anywhere because we'll be back with some of your listener questions All right, welcome back. It's the Fulhamish Podcast. I'm joined by Jack Kelly and Dan Cook. We've got some of your listener questions now, so thank you for everyone who got in touch. I'm going to throw this one to you, Jack, because, Dan, you kind of just answered it from your point of view, but this is from Nathan Tambini from our Telegram chat. What was the most important win of the season for you? So, Dan, obviously, you just said that the Middlesbrough game. I think I'd probably echo that. Um, mm-hmm. But, oh, he's changing his mind. Dan, no, so that, that, that was my favourite moment sort of in terms of okay. like in terms of nature of win so I've, I've got two um and for me that they, they come earlier in the season and i think it's all about context that surrounds games so first one qpr at home we had two wins from our last six games the game before qpr at home was the 4-1 up at coventry we had an international break Things looked a little bit ropey. You know, we, we weren't in a, in a good space. We knew we were a good team, but we weren't necessarily getting the results to show it at quite an important time of sort of early season form. 
we went one nil up and then Lyndon Dykes gets that equaliser and suddenly we're starting to worry. We're like, <laughs> this could be a tough season. And then we go out, we beat them. We put three past them in the last 25 minutes of the game. And and that started a, a seven game winning streak. So I think for, for me, that was a really important game. And secondly, Reading away, because obviously, obviously we won seven nil, but again, we hadn't won a game in five. We'd scored three goals in those five games. We had that long COVID break when we played no games at the back end of December and the start of January. And teams started to go above us. I'm pretty sure at one point we were below Blackburn. I mean, we can see where they are now. But there were questions being asked because form had been bad. Other teams were picking up lots of points. We go out, we win 7-0. It kickstarts that bonkers January where we then go and win 6-2 twice in a row. So I think those are two sort of games when we arrested a slide and we really actually just made a marker of like, hang on, we are serious. Yeah, those games are very important actually in the context were defining in terms of how we kick-started, you know, because the QPR game, we went seven wins in a row after that. Uh, And then you know what happened after um, Reading. But I look back at some of those 1-0 wins, especially the one at Hull, you know, dogged pitch, rubbish game, one moment of quality, three points, happy days, Good night, God bless. It was, and then again, like the Cardiff game as well. Big, big results that gritty. And you need that side. Yeah, we've been quite sexy in our football this season with lots of goals, but you do need to have the other side to you. I say it every season, the championship team needs to have two sides uh, to get over the line. And we showed that that resilience in those 1-0 wins. Obviously, the Peterborough game as well. So, um, yeah, for me, Holloway was very, very important and very satisfying as well. Right, I've got another question here. Dan, this one's for you. This is from Keir on Twitter. Is anyone else worried that we're still a massive confidence team? If we score early, things go well. Anything can happen. But if a team is aggressive and gets to us early, we struggle to fight back, which will happen in the Premier League. Do we need a midfield enforcer or something? As if uh, a midfield enforcer is the is the key to, to becoming a confidence team. But uh, what, what do you reckon on this question, Dan? I, I, I think a lot of teams are... Like this, I think it's easy when you're inside it, seeing you know oh, we we very rarely win when we go behind. But Chris Frank, Cottage Analytical on Twitter, did a great thread on this that really we we sit about par in general. If you go behind in games, team, teams tend not to win. That goes for a lot of teams, and there are obviously some teams that are actually have the knack and they're really good at it. But I would much rather be a team. I think that frequently goes ahead and is good at holding leads than a, rather than a team who needs to go one or two nil down until they're kicked into gear. So whilst, it, you know, next season we are going to need to show this side to us that we can't afford to to not win any games when we go behind. But I think it's also one of those things that actually it seems worse than it is because actually when you look at what other teams do, it's very similar across the board. It's hard to win games of football when you go one nil down. Yeah. True, true. I agree. And yeah, sometimes I think we, we can be a little bit hard on ourselves as a fan base and and attribute that, at, you know, to, to Fulham. But it's not always the case, is it? Jack, we've had a question here from Dave M on Twitter. He says, lots of varying opinions about how many players we need to sign to stay in the Prem next year. However, what are your top three positions that we should focus on? Um, okay, well, first of all, centre-back is definitely the most important. Um, you look at Michael Hector, you look at uh, Alfie Mawson, Tim Ream. Um, these are players who might, one might be here next season. Maybe all of them will not be here next season. Uh, Terence Gongolo is still in a state of, you know, can play one game 
every seven years. Um, so, yeah, I think I think two centre backs is is needed for Fulham. Uh, two quality Premier League centre backs. Uh, but then, but then it gets interesting because there's been a lot of chat recently about are we going to stick with the same formation for next season, i.e. the four three three, i.e. the um, the number ten position, or are we going to have a base midfield of just three midfielders? Um, uh, and one that's not attacking, so we got two holding and, and one sitting, basically. No, sorry, like an eight and like a six and two eights, basically, as opposed to uh, an eight, six, and a ten. Um, so then, then it comes down to the Fabio Carvalho part position. Like, do do we need to actually replace it? So I'd say another midfielder is important. It just depends on what the system is, what the style is, and, and how we how we go about signing uh, one of those players. And then you'd look at wing back, left back, I think. Um, Robinson was good last season. Joe Bryan, is he going to have another shot at it? Not sure. Um, is Nico Williams coming back? We've got Kenny Tete. So for me, you know, to answer the question, um, centre back, centre mid, slash cam and left back. What do you reckon, Dan? I think the the one thing I want to pick up on what Jack said, and it's something that I I think strongly is about about this Fabio Carvalho replacement, is that I really do imagine that we will turn into a midfield, and we've we've played it a, a number of times this season as well, but with one midfielder sitting in front of the back four, and then two sitting in front. So as you say, you've got the two eights, and so I think it's really important that replacing Fabio Carvalho with a really quality box-to-box midfielder. If we can find a, a, a player who can affect the game in both area, both halves of the pitch, someone who's got just that knack for goal, you know, pick chip in with a few goals across the season, but really does all of their work in between the boxes, I think that's the most important other than the centre-back. If we get that right, then I think we'll have a really nicely balanced side. Have you got anyone in mind who'd fit that mould that you think we should perhaps be looking in for? Because that, that kind of footballer is 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 like gold dust at the minute. And there's not yeah. too many of them around, especially not within the budgets that we're likely going to be looking at. Yeah, maybe someone right. like um, Andre Frank Zabo in Guisa. <laughs> I was thinking that. It's this never-ending debate, isn't it, about uh, Andre Frank Zabo in Guisa? But I mean, God knows whether we'll see him next year. No, I would be those, I would be against it if he comes in and you know actually wants to play for the club and. And you know, I'm all for it. Like, believe me, I want to see him do well as well. I just, I just can't see it happening. It just doesn't seem committed to me. Uh, Napoli will it will exercise that that option to buy him. But I think if I was to describe to people, if people want an idea of what what I and, and a few of the other Fulhamish people have thought is the mould of player we need, if you just look at Conor Gallagher, if we can find ourselves someone in the Conor Gallagher mould. That's what we need, I think. Uh, he's, he's had a fantastic season and we won't be able to get him, but that's the style of player that we need to be looking for, I think. 100%. Jack, we've got a question from M on Twitter. Was that Reem's last game for us? Technically, yes, but should he get a contract extension? And if not, will he beat Adoy's record for fastest forever Fulham being awarded? <laughs> so there's quite a lot there to unpick. I mean, yeah, the, I, I would love to see him play on as, um, carrot stay on as a kind of like, maybe like a player coach kind of role. You know, the transition that we saw sort of Parker make, I'm not saying that Tim Ream's going to go on to become our manager, but I'd definitely like to see him continue on at Fulham he seems like such a good role model to the to the rest of the squad and obviously a big character and he would be very sad to see him go but you know this this sort of thing happens in football and sometimes you've just got to you know accept when the end is the end but 
Um, do you think he'll stay on or do you think he's going? And if he's going, surely he'll be nailed on for a forever Fulham award. Yeah, no, I, I, there's a quite a lot to unpack here because I was looking at his body language yesterday at full time. And because it was Fabio's last game for definite, I was sort of like, was this, is this Reams as well? And like, how are we going to, you know, are we going to give them both a good old send off? And um, I I couldn't quite tell. I could, I wasn't quite sure um, as to whether it was or not. Was he saying goodbye or was he not? I would like to see Tim Ream working alongside Stuart Gray next season in, in the defensive um, tactical things um, of Fulham in the training ground, Motspur Park. And the reason I say that is because I was very lazy and was like, oh yeah, he should just go to MLS for one more year to see out his career. When actually, if you look about it objectively, his family's here, he's settled in London. Why would he want to move to MLS for one year for a, for a payout, for a one last payday? doesn't really make sense. They're, the kids are in school, it would be silly. Uh, and then you think about, you know, is he going to play next season? Not really, I don't think so. Um, as much as I love him, as much as he's a club legend, I think at the age of 35, He's not going to be starting Premier League games for us in a season where we really do need to stay up and cement our place in the Premier League. So that's where I my conclusion is that I think he should be in and around the club as a defensive coach, working alongside Stuart Gray uh, or the academy, getting his maybe doing his UEFA FA coaching badges um, and see where his career goes from there. Obviously, that's I don't know him personally. I don't know what, what decision he wants to do, what decision he wants to make, but I would like to see him in and around the club um, for for the foreseeable future, um, and yes, in terms of Forever Fulham, I would be more than happy to see him. You know, Southampton away on the opening day at halftime, getting the uh, the Forever Fulham award because he is he will is he will be Forever Fulham. He's an absolute legend. Too right. I think I genuinely think he might be staying because and and, and this might be looking too deep into it, but I, I think that if he was leaving Monday at home to Luton was the perfect moment in that game for Marco to sub him off with five or 10 minutes left to get a full standing ovation, his moment at home, his last time in front of the fans. And he did it for Fabio Carvalho with a substitution that didn't need to be made. He just brought Niskan's Cabano on with 10 to go. And that was to me very much a signal of like, say goodbye to Fabio. But Tim Ream hasn't had that moment at any point. You know, he started every game. He wasn't subbed off in either of the last two. And I think you just you just see it in those moments. You would expect a manager to sub that man off so that he could get his last moment with the fans. And because he hasn't done that, I, part of me thinks that I think he might have one year. And yeah, we might not see him play very much, but I think that's not the worst thing in the world because I think you can still contribute so much off the pitch. Yeah. Too right. I mean, I'd love to see him stay, but only time will tell, I guess. Right, we've got one last question from Colm. Colm Bolger. Should we ban paintballing from being a team bonding exercise at the club? Joke, obviously. But what has been the funny highlight of the season? Mine was when the Fulham coaches playing keepy-ups on the sideline at QPR. I grin every time I see it again. Mine would have to be uh, Mitro's goal against Huddersfield. It's a fairly obvious shout, but, you know, it was just hilarious goal of the season without a doubt uh, any any other moments that spring to mind gents I think Luton at home when a fan managed to kick the ball all the way up onto the gantry was oh, actually yeah. really funny because Luton had a throw in they need to get on the game I think the score was like one or two nil at the time and yeah, it was just very unnecessary but also really funny the way he executed that shot and it landed right up the top and it was uh, yeah it was good value Dan anything that springs to mind I quite also enjoyed Rodrigo Muniz busting out moves on the uh, 
Ewood Park dance floor when he oh, yeah. uh, when he scored. I think that was a lovely, lovely moment. I will I will enjoy that moment. That was seeing Rodrigo Muniz do his do his best impression on, on the touchline there. That was wonderful. Yeah. Also, special mention for Muniz every single bicycle kick attempt that he's, uh, <laughs> that he's done this year. <laughs> Just always. I, I I I can't believe every time I see him doing. I'm like, he's done it again. He's done it again. And one of these days, he's going <sighs> to land one. And when that happens, oh, it'll be absolute scenes. We're in the Thames. I think we're in the Thames. <laughs> but anyway, gents, thank you so much for uh, for for being you know a bit of a group therapy well no not group therapy it's a celebration you know yeah. we're up the boys are up it's going to be a fantastic year next year whatever we've got in in store and um and yeah it's been it's been a pleasure watching with you boys this season the only thing that's left to do now on the final monday pod of the year is to name the pod so jack would you mind doing the honors yeah i think i'm gonna have to go with fulham home runs with paintball over points just because obviously the paintball was the the main you know activity they did after clinching the title and it very much did affect the performance yes uh, on Saturday so yeah uh, fantastic paintball over points good for any listeners who weren't aware prior to listening to this podcast of the paintballing shenanigans this might, this one might might be a bit of a head scratcher but we'll go with paintball over points um, all that's left for me to do is to thank my, my panellists today Dan Cook thank you very much thanks for having me Coops and thanks for listening folks yeah and, uh, and Jack Kelly thank you thank you Coops cheers one final note from me just thank you to you know all the listeners for, for sticking with us this year and uh, and yeah I very much look forward to uh, to being with you next year come on you guys <laughs>